We have a father, and he's a glorious one, isn't he? And we're here to celebrate that today. Well, join me in prayer uh, this morning. Father God in heaven, we thank you that we can come to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And Lord, this topic that we're going to address today is um, one that's going to touch a nerve for a lot of us in this room. I pray for your grace. Lord, may the ministry of the Spirit be active among us this morning and uh, teach your word to us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning to you. It's great to see you today. And it is Father's Day weekend, and I want to take a moment and recognize all the dads and grandpas in the room today. So if you guys would stand up, and we want to honor you as the Lord commands us to do. God bless you guys. Amen. You guys can have a seat. It's great to be in a church that's full of godly men and dads, and uh, we are blessed at New Life. Well, if you were to turn to the last page of your Old Testament, you would find these verses, uh, words from the Lord himself at the end of the book of Malachi, closing out the Old Testament. It reads like this, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Kind of strange, huh? That's how the Old Testament finishes up. This prophetic, mysterious prophetic word given by God to his people Israel. I confess I've read that verse many times over the years. I still don't fully comprehend it. What I do understand about it is this. This prophecy was given about 400 years before Jesus appeared on the scene, and it most likely was intended to have a dual fulfillment, one that would occur at the time of Christ through the ministry of John the Baptist, who it was said came in the spirit and power of Elijah, and he had that ministry of turning the the hearts of fathers towards their children. But there's an aspect of this prophecy that's not yet been fulfilled, and many believe that Elijah will actually return at the end of the age and be one of the two witnesses that's mentioned in the book of Revelation, and he will appear on the scene and have a ministry, and that ministry will be one of spreading the gospel for sure, but also through that of bonding the hearts of fathers to their children. And then interestingly, there's a warning attached to it here. It says rejecting that ministry would result in a curse being placed upon the land. And what was that curse? that would afflict the people if the hearts of the children and the hearts of the fathers are not bonded together. Many scholars believe that curse could be summed up by something that they call the father wound. The father wound. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And you know that we're in the second week of a series that we're calling Can of Worms. (laughs) And we're opening up a can of worms here at New Life and we're tackling some issues that that are really... um, thorny issues to tackle, and they're difficult, and they they touch a nerve, and certainly from my vantage point as a pastor, daddy issues are some of the messiest issues that people face in their lives. Rarely does a week go by that one of our pastors isn't trying to help someone in this church deal with their feelings and their emotions towards their father. I realize some of us are at that stage of life where maybe our fathers have already uh, slipped into eternity, others of us Our fathers are declining, they're aging, they're declining in health. And as you face the prospect of your dad not being around anymore, you're finding that 
all of these emotions that you've kept suppressed and buried for years are starting to come up to the surface. And the memories and the feelings can be confusing and overwhelming and perplexing. Feelings like disappointment, hurt, anger, mistrust, bitterness, or maybe just apathy. Like, I really don't care what happens to him. Truth be told, some of you have deep, deep wounds that, comes, that come from how your dad treated you when you were young or how he didn't treat you because maybe he wasn't around a whole lot or maybe from how he treated your, your mother. And so on this Father's Day, I'm praying that the work of the Spirit in your heart, that this will be a, a significant milestone on your journey towards healing and health and wholeness in your relationship with your earthly father as well as your heavenly father. Let's just acknowledge that there's something very unique about the relationship between a father and his children. Something that's so crucial to a child's development and well-being that God decided to dedicate the final words of the Old Testament to it. And you know the effects of the father wound are not just personal and individual. They extend far beyond that. Notice it says when father's hearts are not bonded with the hearts of their children, it affects the entire land. I will strike it says the land with a curse. And in our day and age and in our country, who could deny that many of the social ills that we're experiencing in our country these days could be traced back to the unhealthy relationships between dads and sons and between fathers and daughters. And so I want to explore this today. And you can take the, the study guide out of your worship folder there. I want to offer you this morning four biblically-based observations about people and their dads. And the first one is this, everyone longs to have a good father. Isn't that true? It almost goes without saying, but let's say it. Everybody wants to be parented, wants to be fathered by a great dad. A dad we can be proud of, a dad who is strong, stable, a man of integrity, respectable, honorable. A dad who's committed to our mom, who keeps his promises, takes care of his family. This runs deep in all of us. And I think it's something that God himself has hardwired into the human soul, this ache, this deep longing to be fathered well by a great dad. You know, when it's all said and done, at the end of my life, if I'm viewed as a pretty decent pastor, uh, that'll be nice. I want to be a good and faithful pastor. But much deeper than that in my heart is the desire to be a faithful husband and a good dad. On my bathroom mirror, in my bathroom, I keep this sticky note. It's, it's about 10 or 11 years old now, not much sticky left on it. But uh, it was written by one of my sons many, many years ago, and it reads like this. He kind of scratched this out on here. It says, Dear Dad, you are the best dad in the whole world. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't know that I've lived up to that, but it certainly reflects the desire of his heart and all of our hearts, really, to have a great dad. Everybody longs for this, everyone. Fathers in the room this morning, your kids may not come out and say it, they may not verbalize it, but they long for you to parent them well, to father them well. And the Bible tells us that there are some key things that children need from their fathers if they're going to do more than just survive in this life, and if they're going to have an accurate picture of the Father in heaven. Let me share some of those with you. The first is... Instruction and discipline. Instruction and discipline. Ephesians 6.4 reads like this. Fathers, talking to dads now, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the what? 
discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now you probably know that the Old Testament book of Proverbs is actually an instruction manual that records the life lessons that a dad taught his kids. How many times does Proverbs say, my son, listen to your father's instruction? That presupposes that dads are instructing their children, right? They're talking to their kids. Sons and daughters need their dads to give them guidance about life. But sadly, many dads miss the boat on this one especially from the previous generation. One middle-aged author that I was reading wrote this, I don't know of a man my age who doesn't feel like he's navigating his life without a map. I'm still waiting for my dad to talk to me about success and sex and money and marriage and religion and raising children. That's a middle-aged man talking. Dads, don't, don't leave your kids wondering what dad believes about stuff. Talk to them. Our sons and daughters need to learn about the key issues of life from us. One good way to do this is to make a habit, especially when they're young, of sitting down with your children and reading to them from the book of Proverbs or from the book of James or from the Sermon on the Mount. The Bible is full of divine wisdom that your children are going to need as they grow up in a world that values worldly wisdom. And since we're talking about the substantive issues of life, since I would contend that life is primarily about Jesus... I believe that children should learn that from their fathers. That life is about Jesus Christ, glorifying him. Kids should learn the gospel from their fathers. Moms are good for this too, I'll acknowledge that. But since Jesus was a man, and since God is pictured as a father, the example of a dad teaching his children the gospel, and then living his life in alignment with that message is a potent combination. It will make a difference in the life of, lives of your children. So teach your children about decision-making and money and success and life and relationships, but show them how everything you believe about those things comes from knowing Jesus Christ. Dads, teach your children that life is about glorifying Jesus, that the Bible's all about Jesus. So instruction and then discipline. That's a father's role too. Too many dads just delegate this to moms, right? Hey, honey, take care of the kids. But listen. Hebrews 12, 7 says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Now listen to this. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? It's assumed in Scripture that dads will discipline their kids when they need it. And uh, I believe that in order for a child to truly appreciate grace someday, that children need to be exposed to law, to standards, to boundaries, to guidelines. Kids need sensible standards and then when they cross those lines, as they will, they need age-appropriate loving correction followed by consequences that will train their hearts to love what's good. They also need to experience grace. Dads who are always all about law, who always have the hammer ready to come down, never showing grace, usually end up raising either rebels or Pharisees, both of whom have distorted views of the Heavenly Father. This is why parents need to understand the relationship between the law and the gospel. You see, theology matters. It does. We need to walk in the Spirit so we know when to apply law and grace to which child at which stage of their life. That's a challenge, isn't it? I didn't take any courses on that before having children. I wish I had. Our children need 
spirit-led, gospel-soaked dads who listen to God and hear from God how to guide their children in the ways of Jesus. So instruction and discipline. And you know what else your kids need? They need encouragement and challenge, don't they? From dads? Paul wrote this in 1 Thessalonians 2, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The Bible is very clear that good dads challenge their kids. They stretch them a little bit. They push them. They urge them to live godly lives. Now, moms are the gentle nurturers, right? And that's great. But dads need to light a fire under their kids. Dads need to give their kids something to go for, a goal to aim at. Children, and especially boys, need this from their dads. I remember many years ago, my oldest son was on one of the local football teams here in, in, in the league and, and one night they were playing down here at middle school west and it was a rainy stormy cold miserable night and it just so happens that his coach wasn't playing him in the game that night so he's kind of ticked off about that plus he forgot to wear his undershirt so all he had on him was his pads and his jersey and I'm up in the stands and I could see him he's down on the bench he's 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 shivering he's freezing he's cold it's raining it's nasty outside and he's he's getting angrier by the minute And finally, he turns around, he comes off the bench, he comes over the chain link fence, looks up at me in the stands. He's got tears coming down his face. He says, Dad, I want to go home. (laughs) And being the sensitive, kind father that I am, I looked at him and I said, get your butt back over there with your team. (laughs) Nobody ever said this was going to be easy. You committed to this? Do this. Now, if mom had been there, the tone might have been a little different, but... Kids need to be challenged by their fathers. They do. To not let your kids just slide by or always take the easy path or get by with the least amount of effort. They might not like it, but they need it. And this is especially true spiritually, isn't it? Dad should be the one setting the pace spiritually in the home and then challenging his kids to know Christ like he does, to love Jesus like he does. Kids need encouragement and challenge. They also need love and affection. Love and affection. Good dads express love to their children. Kids need daddy's affection and love. Jesus experienced that from his father. He said in John 15, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Sons and daughters need their daddies to express affection and love to them, but especially daughters I would contend how many of you are dads in the room this morning and you're raising daughters in your home you have daughters can I see your hands all right God bless you (laughs) I know nothing about that whole deal nothing at all so I I have high regard for you just the fact that that uh, you're doing that let me say this to you dads your daughter craves and needs your gentle Appropriate affection. She needs your hugs. If she doesn't experience from you, Dad, your appropriate affection, she might look for it in places where it's not so appropriate. She needs that from you. She wants to be the apple of her daddy's eye. She wants to hear that you think, from your lips, that you think she's beautiful and lovely and worth fighting for. Every daughter wants that from her daddy. 
Listen, your children need you to show your affection to them. Even if you grew up in a family where that wasn't done much and you feel kind of awkward, it's so important. You need to learn it. Get with a, a dad in this church who you see does this well and ask him to come alongside you and help you to grow in this area. It's that important to learn how to show affection to your children. Children also need provision and protection. They need to know their dad's going to be there for them. He's going to provide for their basic needs to keep them safe as much as he can. Children need affirmation and blessing from their fathers, don't they? They desperately need the verbal blessing of their dad, especially boys. You know, some men go through their whole lives still trying to earn their father's blessing that somehow has always managed to elude them. You can see how important it is to receive a dad's blessing in Genesis 27 where we see the grown son, Esau, wailing when his father wouldn't bless him. You can see it illustrated in Genesis 48 and 49 where Jacob called in each of his children and grandchildren one at a time and blessed each one of them by name. Sons need to hear that dad is proud of them, that he's pleased with them, that he believes you have what it takes to be a real man. You know, years and years ago, we had Bill Glass here as a guest speaker. You know who Bill Glass is? He played for the Browns, I think, back in the 60s. Great player, and then he started a prison ministry that's gone all over the world. Wonderful ministry. He stood here and looked out at the men in this church, and he said this, until your dad calls you a man, you don't feel like a man. And then he said this, a man without his father's blessing is dangerous. And He knew that from working in the prisons. He said, you know what, if you're a dad and you always keep your blessing just out of their reach, they'll end up hating you for it. He's right. Dads, give your sons your blessing, your verbal, unconditional blessing. You know, God showed us how to do this. God the Father blessed his own son. Did he not at his baptism? Did he not look down at his son Jesus and say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased? And Jesus hadn't done anything yet. It wasn't based on his performance. It was based on the relationship between father and son. And I would say this, if the son of God needed his father's blessing, how much more do your sons need your blessing, dads? I'll tell you something else kids need from their fathers is stability and faithfulness. You know why? Because as earthly fathers, we are given the high and holy calling of imaging the heavenly father to our children. They get their earliest pictures of God the Father from their earthly father. Let me ask you this question. Is God flaky? Look at this description of the Father in Deuteronomy 32.4. The rock, love that. His work is perfect. All his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. You know what? Flaky dads who step in and out of their kids' lives, who you can't ever pin down, who break covenant with their children's mother, who want to be free from all obligations, who are selfish and consumed with their work or their hobbies or their toys. That kind of father leaves kids with a distorted image of the father. And that's hard to recover from. It takes the grace of God to recover from that. I'm grateful for the many fathers in this church who are like my dad, who was the picture of steadiness and faithfulness and reliability. I always knew I could count on him. Day in, day out, week in, week out, he was the same man. 
grateful for that. Many of you image the Father in heaven well. And I praise God for you in this church. So, truthfully, everyone longs to have a great dad who will provide all of these things for them. There's not a person in this room or in this city that didn't grow up with an ache to be fathered well. But guess what? My second observation, number two, no earthly dad can be a perfect father to his kids. Does the perfect father exist? Not on this planet. There ain't none. Your dad, he might have been a great dad, but he wasn't perfect, and neither was mine. Some were better than others, for sure, but no father perfectly provides all of these things for all of his kids all of the time. We all fall short. And as a result, number three, imperfect fathering results in children growing up with wounded hearts. Because it's universally true that all dads fall short, all of us, all of us are left with some wounds and some scars. Daughters who grew up hurt and disappointed and now looking elsewhere for what they never received from their dads. And boys who grew up missing key things they should have gotten, as one man called them, unfathered and unfinished men. We all carry around the father wound. Well, you know, in our celebration times, we've been walking through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount together this year, right? And we might finish it someday. I I don't know. We'll keep moving. But it it occurred to me that, that much of what Jesus talked about in his Sermon on the Mount applies to dads. And particularly in some of the ways in which dads leave their children with deep wounds. Last week, Pastor Jay was talking to us from the Sermon on the Mount about these matters of anger and lust and adultery and divorce. And I wonder if someone was keeping track how many children have grown up marked, wounded by deficits in those areas from their dads. Jesus in chapter 5 verse 32 talked about divorce. And I think about dads who just walk away from their marriages. What, what, what wounds, what lacerations are left on the hearts of children who go to their mom and say, how come daddy doesn't live with us anymore? Does he not love us anymore? In Matthew 5, Jesus spoke about another way that people get wounded. He talked about the common practice of, of making a vow to someone, a promise, and then swearing by something to try to get them to believe you. It's like, you know, the old, I promise, cross my heart, and hope to die. That's horrible. Who came up with that? Yikes. Yeah, that kind of thing. I remember uh, I was involved in a Craigslist transaction a couple years ago where I was selling an item, and a guy came, and he gave me the down payment for the item, and then he He wanted me to let him take the item with his promise to come back and pay me the balance later. And uh, he said, you know what? I swear on my grandmother's grave that I'll come back and pay you the rest. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're going to swear on your grandmother's grave, sure, go ahead and take it. I'm sure you're good for it, you know? Like, what? Here's what Jesus said about this, Matthew 5, 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you can't make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. 
Or like how the NIV puts it, let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let your word be your word. Apparently in Hebrew culture, if you really wanted to convince someone you're going to make good on a promise, you would, you would swear by something that you both knew was greater than yourself. So I promise to do it. I swear by the throne of God. One common practice was to swear by your own head, <laughs> which I guess meant, you know, if I don't come through on this promise, then you can have my head on a platter. Some people would swear like that, but never really intending in their heart to actually make good on the promise, and the Old Testament forbid, forbade that. But here Jesus comes along and he says, look, I'm telling you that the true intent of the law wasn't just to regulate what comes out of your mouth, your speech, it was to require truth in the inner man. So that when you say, yes, I'm going to do something, people know he's going to do it. Because your yes means yes. You have a track record. You have a history with people of integrity. It's a reflection of your true heart. Now, I think this applies to dads. Because so many of the wounds that people have received from their dads have to do with this very thing. Dad didn't keep his promises. You couldn't count on him to do what he said he'd do. And for some people, when dad reached a thir certain threshold of promise breaking, they were just kind of done. <laughs> sure, dad, whatever, whatever you say. Now, here's the truth about all of this that we've been talking about. All earthly dads fall short. Would you agree with that? Doesn't the Bible say all have sinned? All. We, all of our dads fell short. We who are dads, we've all fell short. There are no perfect fathers in the world. The best dads... I know there's some great dads. The best dads have feet of clay. The best dads have an Achilles heel and have at least one chink in their armor. And as a result, we all have father wounds. Some are more visible than others. Some are more open than others. All of us are counted among the walking wounded because we've been fathered imperfectly. It's true. You say, well, is there any evidence of that in our, in our culture, in our land? Oh, my. I mentioned a few things. Think about the painkillers that people use. You know, to, we've got pain, we've got to medicate that pain. Do we live in a culture that's a medicated culture? Think about the confusion, the widespread confusion about what it means to be a man. I mean, wounded sons and daughters often grow up a bit perplexed about masculinity since their fathers were supposed to model that for them. But I wonder how many young ladies grow up wondering, what kind of a guy am I supposed to look for? And how many guys secretly wonder, what does it really mean to be a man? What does that look like? You know, John Wayne, Archie Bunker, Rambo, the guys on How I Met Your Mother, God forbid. <laughs> Think about passive men in our culture. You see, the wounding of boys has led to confusion over what it means to be a man, and that's resulted in a lot of passive guys. I'm talking about guys who won't commit to anything. Afraid to take leadership, always shirking responsibility. Passive men are only too willing to vacate the chair of leadership and give that responsibility to their very capable girlfriend or wife. I call them neutered men. You know, even men who felt, or even women, I should say, who felt liberated in the 60s and 70s by the Cultural Revolution, now are sometimes wondering, where are the men? Why aren't they stepping up? 
So passive men, and on the other extreme are what? Violent men. Think about all the campus shootings since Columbine. Who committed those crimes? Young men. Young men. There was a study done of 17 shooters, all of them young men, and you know what it revealed? All of them, without exception, had a terrible relationship with their fathers. All of them. This is reaching crisis proportions in our country, and much of it is rooted in the wounds of childhood. Think about immorality, rampant immorality in our culture. When you put confused boys and wounded girls together in a a sex-saturated culture, what do you get? You get sexual activity and all that comes with that. And then think about the, the despising of fathers. A study was done once of 44 death row inmates in prison on death row, and they were interviewed. Guess how many of those 44 hated their fathers? 44. 100% of them. There was a lady who had a ministry of hand-making special cards to give to prisoners to send to their moms on Mother's Day and their dads on Father's Day. And when this gal was interviewed about her ministry, she, she said that for Mother's Day, she got flooded with orders for these special cards. But for Father's Day, not a one. Not a one. I wonder if you could produce a single felon who had a great relationship with his father growing up. I just wonder. I sometimes wonder if the prevalence of father wounds is is to blame for the absence of great dads on TV these days. I mean, where are the great dads on television? Where, Where are the Andy Griffiths of our day? Are they around? I guess we do have Phil Robertson from Duck Dynasty, so there is some hope, I guess. But Make a comeback. I mean, to me, it's no wonder that God sent prophets with a ministry of turning the hearts of fathers to their children and turning the hearts of children back to their fathers. It is critical. It's crucial. When that is not happening in a family, in a church, in a nation, it comes under a curse, the curse of the father wound. And so, here we walk around as the walking wounded and we have two options, two paths we can take. On the one hand, we can, we can kind of deny it or blow it off or suppress it or push it down and say, I'm, I'm good, I'm, I'm fine. I got, no, I got no scars, none of that, I'm good. That's one path. Or we can own it. Like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's in me too. And we can take our wounds to the only perfect father that exists, the heavenly father. Did you know you can invite the father into your wounds? Did you know he's all about healing and restoring and applying the salve of his grace and mercy to those deep heart wounds that that all of us have? That's the fourth observation I, I want to offer you this morning. The heavenly father offers himself to all as the perfect dad. While it's true that our earthly fathers let us down and didn't provide all that we needed and wounded us, I wonder about this. Without that, would we ever feel compelled to run home to Father God? I mean, is it possible that he allows a lot of this wounding to go on so that his children will run to him for perfect fathering? 
take to heart the message of these scriptures. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and we, this is Jesus speaking, my Father and I will come to him and make our home with him. In Galatians it says, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. You know what Abba means? It means daddy. Daddy. Abba, Papa. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you an heir. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. There is a perfect Father. He is our Father in heaven. And he's been fathering us, whether we realize it or not, for a long time. Listen to what one man wrote. He was talking to Christians, to believers, and he wrote this. You are the son or daughter of a kind, strong, engaged father, a father wise enough to guide you in the way, generous enough to provide for your journey, who offers to walk with you every step. This is perhaps the hardest thing, though, for us to believe. And this is the core issue of our shared dilemma. We just don't believe it. Our core assumptions about the world, world boil down to this. We're alone. We're on our own to make life work. We're not watched over. We're not cared for. When we're hit with a problem, we have to figure it out ourselves or just take the hit. We believe we are fatherless. Whatever else life has taught us, we feel that we are alone. But we aren't meant to figure out life on our own. God wants to father us. And the truth is, he's been fathering us for a long time, but we haven't had the eyes to see it. One night in a hot, humid, upstairs room, Jesus was equipping his young men, his disciples, for what was to come. And as part of that, he wanted to give them hope. So he told them, I'm, I'm going away to prepare a place for you, but if I go away, I will come back and I will receive you and I'll take you to be with me in my father's house. And one of the young men, Philip, couldn't help but he just blurted this out, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. Doesn't that just kind of sum it all up? Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus, show us the Dad who is perfect. This one you've been telling us about for three years, the one you came to reveal. We know, Jesus, that you know him. We want to know him too. Our dads here on the earth hurt us. They disappointed us. They failed us. They let us down. We long to know this perfect Father that you speak of. We want him to be our Father too. And in that moment, Jesus looked at his young men and he made this statement to them. He said, you know what? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, everything that he is, I am in the flesh. Could it be that in the plan of God, we need flesh and blood examples of what the Father is like to become healthy, whole individuals and people. I do believe this is why God gathers his people together into the body of Christ, the church. Because some of you, when I mentioned earlier unfathered, unfinished men, you're thinking, yeah, that's kind of me. There's a lot I didn't get from my dad. But when you come into the body of Christ, you can come alongside seasoned men who've walked with God for years or maybe decades, who have a heart to mentor younger men, and you can experience some of who God the Father is through that man. Does that make sense? 
And there are men in this church who have a heart for mentoring younger men, and they believe they have something to offer. And you can begin to talk to your heavenly Father about that and say, God, bring me a flesh and blood man. Like you sent Jesus years ago, bring me a flesh and blood man who can come into my life and begin to show me the way of biblical manhood, what it means to truly be a follower of Jesus Christ as a man. And so on this Father's Day weekend in 2013, as a pastor, I want to urge you to come home to your father. Yes, your earthly father was imperfect. Yes, he may have hurt you. He may have wounded you deeply. We're not discounting any of that. But there's a perfect father in heaven. And once you begin to allow the father, the father, to father you and parent you, your eyes are going to be open to some things. Many would testify of this, that when you begin allowing God to father you and you see him working to backfill what you didn't get from your, your dad, and when you believe that God the Father has only your good in mind, then you will find the grace needed to no longer despise your earthly dad. In fact, the Father will open your eyes to the fact that your dad, your earthly father, he was wounded too, wasn't he? Because he was imperfectly fathered by his dad. And he carried around in his life all of those wounds from that experience. And you'll begin, once you understand that, to be able to extend him some grace. And some forgiveness. And some of you need that today. Come home to the Father. By the way, how do you come to the Father? Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. You get to the Father through the Son and only through the Son, right? Through repenting of sin and putting your total faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And he opens up this relationship with the Father. And you have eyes to see now that God's been fathering you your whole life. Your whole life. He's a good dad. Come home to the Father. And you know, when you begin to let God father you, you will, you will hear from the heart of the Father to your heart, the very things that he spoke to his beloved son when he said, you are my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. With you, I'm well pleased in Christ. I'll tell you what, you can live off that. <laughs> you can live off that. Well, I know this has been a heavy subject this morning and probably, well, I know because people have already told me, difficult to think about and, and touching a nerve for many people. And so I want to say a prayer over all of us. And, um, but just as a testimony to God's ability to work in this particular area in our hearts, I want to ask this of you. How many of you would say that with the help of your Heavenly Father, with God's help, the help of your Heavenly Father, you have been able to make great strides with your earthly father's relationship, with forgiving your earthly father or maybe you've even seen that relationship restored to some degree when it was fragmented and fractured. How many of you would lift your hand? Better yet, how many of you would stand and say, with the help of my heavenly father, I've made great strides in my relationship with my earthly father. Would you just stand up all around the room? You see, it can happen. With God, all things are possible, truthfully. Now, re remain standing for a moment, but let me ask this. How many others of you would say, where I'm at with this is I need 
God's help. I need the Father's help in repairing and restoring my relationship with my Father or my attitude towards Him and, and forgiving Him. If that's you this morning, would you stand and just join these others? Because I want to include you in my prayer as well. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do this. Would you all stand? And uh, let's join hands this morning. And I want to pray over all of us. And then we will worship the Lord for his healing power in our hearts, okay? Yeah, join hands with those around you if you would. I know, it's not a real manly thing to do, but every so often you can do the stretch if you want. All right, Father, Father God, Father in heaven, we come to you only in the name of Jesus, your son. And I ask you, Lord, as, a, as one of the shepherds of this flock, this congregation, will you come through your Holy Spirit and minister your healing grace, the salve of your mercy and grace to the hearts of many in this room right now. Lord, who've been hurt, abused, disappointed, whose dads walked out on them, who have wounds, the wounds to show it, the scars to show it. Lord, would you come? Even in this moment, would you show them and open their eyes and their hearts to the fact that their dad was wounded too? And he was carrying scars from his upbringing and it's been passed down from generation to generation. And would you give them the grace to see their dad in a new light and to extend mercy and grace to him. Lord, I pray you'd reach into some hearts even right now and just extract bitterness and extract hatred and extract apathy and just jerk it out of hearts so that people go, wow, it's gone. It's gone. And that it would be your work, Lord. And oh, Father in heaven, you're the perfect dad and we cry out to you, Abba, Daddy, Papa, parent us. Make up for our dad's deficits and hurts and shortcomings. Father us well. Open our eyes to see that you have been and you want to through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Thank you that we can come to you, that you made a way through your son. If there are any in the room this morning who've never bowed their knee to Jesus, may that happen soon today. I offer this prayer in Jesus' precious name. Amen.